Why don't we begin with a prayer? Father God, we recognize that um, our worship is um, it is in vain if you are not present, if you are not among us, if you do not call us here to worship. Um, our worship is in vain if our hearts are closed to you, if, if we don't humble ourselves before you. You are pleased when people humble themselves before you. You lift up the humble. Uh, you tear down those um, who are prideful and arrogant in their thoughts towards you. We want to humble ourselves this morning. And we pray that you will do what we cannot do on our own, and that is make your word alive in our hearts and in our lives, that your Holy Spirit would come and, and soften our hearts and help us to hear everything that you would have us here today, that we'd be moved, that we would be changed, um, all for um, your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, today is the... Um, the day in the annual church calendar where the church celebrates Pentecost. I wore my red tie. I haven't worn a red tie in a long time. Um, I, truth be told, I have not really participated much in the, the wearing of red on Pentecost. Just, you know, hasn't been a, a high priority for me, but um, I wanted to today. And, and um, I... I I wanted to because it, I wanted to have a reminder that I'm dependent on the Holy Spirit. As you look at my red tie today, just remember, you are dependent on the Holy Spirit. And we should be praying for the Holy Spirit to come in and fill us and give us um, power and whatever the Holy Spirit wants to do in our life. And I want to talk about Pentecost Sunday today. I've been thinking... Uh, this week, what what real difference does the Holy Spirit make in our life? I mean, isn't all we need is just to believe in Jesus and to have Jesus? What difference does it make that the, the Holy Spirit is, is in us? Because our faith is more than just a belief in Jesus, God's Son. It is it's about relating to to God, all of God, including God's Spirit that comes into our life. What difference does the Spirit make? So we're going to look at Acts chapter 2. Um, if you brought your Bible, why don't you hold it up? If you brought your Bible or if you want to use your phone real fast to access Acts chapter 2, you can hold your phone up. Uh, we do not have Bibles in the pews right now just because we don't want to have you worrying about Touching something that else, someone else has already touched? I don't know. Um, so we're encouraging you to bring your own Bibles. Acts chapter 2. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, John in the New Testament. And then right after that, the book of Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. Let's read that. When the day of Pentecost came, they, the followers of Jesus, were all together in one place, and suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. 
all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. And now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. And when they came, they heard this sound. The crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. And utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all of these who are speaking, as we're hearing in our own native language, aren't they Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in in our own native language? And here's a bunch of the nationalities, long names that are hard to pronounce, Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia and Judea and Cappadocia and Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Well, what does it mean? That God sent his Holy Spirit down on believers. What difference does the Holy Spirit make? We're going to look at this passage and and look at three things that the Holy Spirit does in our life, that the Holy Spirit gives us a personal faith, a powerful faith, in a public faith. So let's look at the first thing. The Holy Spirit gives us a personal faith. Um, Pentecost is not a New Testament idea, by the way. The celebration of Pentecost goes way back in the Old Testament. And before Jesus, uh, Pentecost meant a couple of things for the Jewish people. One, and this goes way back um, to, the, to the time of Moses, Pentecost was an annual religious festival that the ancient Hebrew people celebrated. And they recognized God's providence, God's provision of the first fruits of the annual grain harvest. So Pentecost was a way for the Hebrew people to celebrate God's provision of the harvest. And then shortly before uh, Jesus' birth, Pentecost came to take on another extra significance for the Jewish people. They started associating Pentecost with the giving of God's law to the Israelites. And there's a story that goes back, well, that is in um, Exodus chapter 19, we'll read it in a second, that kind of leads to this tradition of a new understanding of Pentecost. In Acts, in, uh, sorry, in Ezekiel, not Ezekiel, not Acts, Exodus 19, um, God gives the law to the Israelites in Mount Sinai. Now, what is the connection between that and Pentecost? Well, Pentecost, the word means 50th day. And throughout Jewish history, became um, believed that God gave the Israelites the law on Mount Sinai the 50th day after Passover. And so they started associating God's law, 50th day, Pentecost, coming down to the Israelites. So I want to read the story of when God gave his law to the Israelites in Exodus chapter 19. It's a fantastic story. So starting with verse 16, on the morning of the third day, 
There was thunder and lightning with a thick cloud over the mountain, Mount Sinai, and a very loud trumpet blast, and everyone in the camp trembled. Then Moses led the people out of the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord descended on it in fire. The smoke billowed up from it like smoke from a furnace, and the whole mountain trembled violently. As the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and the voice of the Lord answered him. Wow, that's a fantastic story. Now, what you need to know is that Moses was the only Israelite that went up to the top of the mountain to receive the Ten Commandments. The other Israelites stayed at the base of the mountain. They did not go up with Moses. They were, they, they were to stay away. Moses was going to be the mouthpiece of God to the people. Only, God, only Moses was allowed to go up. Later, God would speak to the Israelites, not through Moses, but through another individual, through Joshua, or later through Samuel. Later, God would speak to the Israelites, but through one of the prophets. But you see what's going on? God was giving his law, his word to his people, but it was through a mouthpiece, through one individual. He was speaking through this this mouthpiece, a message from the Lord shared by one person. Now think about Acts chapter 2. It's Pentecost, the 50th day after Passover. Like on Mount Sinai in Exodus 19, there was a violent wind, wasn't there? Like Mount Sinai, God descended in fire. But it's different in Acts chapter 2. Now each person was receiving this message from the Lord. Each person received it. Each person then shared it. It wasn't just one mouthpiece. Each person received from the Lord. Others hear this message in their own personal language. So what's going on? I'll tell you what's going on. God is making his word alive for each and every person. It's personal. When each follower of Jesus received the Holy Spirit, God was showing, now you each have direct access to me. You each have this personal interaction with me. That's what happened on Acts, in Acts chapter 2. You have direct access to me. You can walk with me. There's a scripture from Ezekiel chapter 36. It talks about how the Holy Spirit is going to give us this personal walk with God. And what does that look like? So Ezekiel chapter 36, verses 26 and 27. This is what they say. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your old heart of stone and I will give you a heart of flesh and I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my law. See what God is saying through my Holy Spirit? I'm going to make my word come alive to you. You'll be able to walk in my ways. You'll be able to follow my word. My word will become alive for you. You will hear it from me. So this is what this walk with God that we have is about. Hearing from God. Hearing from his word and being able to follow and obey. It's personal. I'm going to give you an example of 
hearing from God personally and what what that means to us. Take this promise from Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 3. This, this This is a great verse. I have loved you, God says. I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have drawn you with unfailing kindness. That's a great verse, right? You might want to memorize that verse. Put that down. Write it somewhere. Now, it's one thing to read that verse. What if you heard the Holy Spirit speaking speaking that to you? That God has loved you with an everlasting love. God has loved you with an everlasting love. God's speaking that through His Holy Spirit to you. That will make you alive, won't it? It's a personal faith. He wants to interact personally with you. The Holy Spirit gives us a personal faith. He also gives us a powerful faith. And this is a pretty fantastic story from Acts chapter 2, seeing the, the fire, the tongues of fire, whatever that looked like. So we imagine that. Um, and then people speaking in different languages pretty miraculous, but that's only half of just the amazing thing that is going on in Acts chapter 2. Look at what, um, look at what verse 7 says. If you're in your, I don't think we have this on the screen, so you have to look in your own Bible. Acts chapter 2 verse 7, people are amazed. Aren't these who are speaking, and he doesn't say, aren't they Judeans? Aren't they Jews from around here? No, he says, aren't these people speaking Galileans? So why did he point out, or why do the people why were they amazed that, that these people were Galileans? Well, because Galileans were known as kind of the garden variety country folk. They were just ordinary people, as plain as can be. They were the most unlikely people you would expect for God to kind of start speaking through and bring about this miracle with. So there's this, there's this truth that we see throughout the Scriptures is great promise. And it's this, that God uses ordinary people to do extraordinary things. And you may be thinking this morning, well, I don't feel very extraordinary. I feel pretty ordinary. You know, I come from a family where there's no long and amazing spiritual lineage or heritage. I'm just, man, I'm just here on Sunday mornings hoping to get by. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not hearing these great insights from God. You know, I try I struggle to read the Bible and understand it, just doing my best? Is God really going to do something through me? Would God actually do something through me? And Acts chapter 2 says, yes, absolutely God will. But here's the deal. Let's talk about the power that we receive from the Holy Spirit. The power that the Holy Spirit wants to bring in your life, it is not the power to do whatever you want, whenever you want. One day Jesus was talking to a man named Nicodemus about the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. John chapter 3. And... Uh, Jesus uses a particular metaphor to describe God's Spirit. Do you remember what he uses? He says the Spirit is like the wind. John chapter 3, verse 8 says, uh, the wind is Jesus, saying the wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear it sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. See, there's this unpredictability about the Holy Spirit. I mean, if you think... 
you can figure out God's Holy Spirit, if you think you can come up with some slight little bit of formula where you can predict the Spirit's moves, guess again. And I want to show you a few verses from Acts where we see this. It's just kind of fascinating watching what the Holy Spirit does in the book of Acts. An old seminary professor, when we uh, studied the book of Acts, she said, listen, this is not the Acts of the Apostles that this book is about. This book is about the Acts of the Holy Spirit working through the Apostles, and the Holy Spirit just does whatever he wants to do. So look at this. If you think you can come up with a pattern for the Holy Spirit, think again. Um, Acts chapter 2, verse 38. Part of the sermon that Peter um, preaches to this, this crowd that's assembled. And Peter gets to this point. The crowd is ready. They are repentant. They are broken inside. And Peter says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You might start thinking, oh, okay, we see. Maybe this is like a pattern. You, 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 you get baptized, and what happens next? You receive the Holy Spirit. Okay, I get it. All right, well, let's look a little bit later in Acts. Acts chapter 8, verses 16 and 17. Uh, Peter and John, they go to these new believers in Samaria. Why did they go there? Well, verse 16 explains they go there because the Holy Spirit had not yet come on any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Huh, isn't that what happened in Acts chapter 2? Then Peter and John placed their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. Like, well, my pattern's being thrown off. I thought you're supposed to get the Spirit right after you're baptized, and now what? Oh, maybe it's the laying on of hands. You have to be baptized, lay on hands, and then you receive the Spirit. All right, Acts chapter 10, verse 44. Peter uh, is staying with some non-Jews, and he tells them about Jesus. This is what verse 44 says. While Peter was still speaking these words. What did the Holy Spirit do? The Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. And it was only after that that they were baptized. See, the Holy Spirit does whatever he wants to do. Two other scriptures in Acts. I love this. This is in Acts chapter 20. Remember, this is a personal walk that we have with God where we hear from the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit directs us. So Paul, in Acts chapter 20, is considering where to go next to do his ministry. And he says in verse 22, And now, compelled by the Spirit, I am going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. Now, Paul had some friends who said, Paul, we know what's going to happen to you there. Bad things will happen to you there. And so this is the same story in Acts chapter 21, verse 4. Check this out. Through the Holy Spirit, they urged Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. So here's the Holy Spirit telling Paul, Paul, go to Jerusalem. And then the Holy Spirit's telling Paul's friends, tell Paul not to go to Jerusalem. What's going on? I'll tell you what's going on. It's the Holy Spirit doing whatever the Spirit wants to do. The Holy Spirit is wild and free and gets to do what the Holy Spirit wants to do. He's like the wind. He's like the wind around a campfire on a warm Texas evening. And you know what that's like, right? Standing around a campfire on a warm Texas evening. You're standing on one side and 
The wind's blowing the other way, the smoke's going the other way, and then what's, what's happening two seconds later? It's blowing in your face, and you've got to walk around the fire, and then five seconds later, it's blowing in your face again. The wind's just blowing wherever it wants to go. And so is the Holy Spirit. Can't you choose one direction, wind? No. Okay. The Holy Spirit is wild and free. He does not come into your life to do your bidding. So I was thinking about, what is this life with the Spirit like? I wrote two things down. Life empowered by the Holy Spirit. One, it is much more about humble following than it is take charge leading. So go ahead and put that slide up. Uh, Life empowered by the Holy Spirit is much more about humble following than it is take charge leading. It may not be easy to predict what the Holy Spirit's going to do in your life. It is downright futile to direct what the Holy Spirit should do in your life. And so what do you do? Well, you humbly listen. It's about humble listening instead of take charge leading. Take take charge leading is when you're like, my way is the right way, and this is the way I'm going, and you just kind of lower your head and you bulldoze forward. That is not life in the Spirit. It's about humble listening. And two, Holy Spirit power moves in the direction of peace. We may not be able to predict the steps of the Spirit, but the general direction of the Spirit is in the direction of peace. you believe that? I think, man, I think that's true. You see, we often have distorted views of power that makes us think differently. I, I, just in your mind's eye, I want you to think of power. What, what comes to your mind when you think of power? I remember when, when Ryan was like three years old, uh, the church I was a pastor at was about to build a new building, and uh, Ryan was big into trucks and cars and motorized things, and there's a big bulldozer out on the property, the church property, and I have this picture. I didn't have a smartphone back then. A little flip phone had like a two-megapixel camera on it, so I got this little blurred picture of Ryan on this huge bulldozer. Maybe that's what you think when you think of power, this bulldozer. What do you think when you think of power? Superhero. Super athlete being able to do whatever they want to do and make stuff happen. Man, that's not that's not the ultimate picture of power. That's not it. We often think of someone having a powerful presence. That's someone who kind of carries the room, that commands the room's attention. This bull rush ability to create things and make things happen. That's what we think of power. And that's not the Bible's picture of power. Instead, think about what the Holy Spirit empowered Jesus to do. See, the Holy Spirit empowered Jesus to do the most difficult work in all of human history. And that most difficult work was healing this great divide that existed between us and God, this divide that we created through our sins. And Jesus brought peace between us and God through the shedding of his blood on the cross. Jesus was full of the Spirit. 
and that the Spirit gave him the, the power to humble himself and stretch himself across on the cross as a sacrifice. And he accomplished what nobody else on this planet could do, and that is to make us right with God. Jesus brought peace. That is power through the Holy Spirit. So you may not be able to predict the steps that the Holy Spirit will take, but the destination of the Spirit remains pretty constant, and that is bringing peace between one person and another, bringing peace between one person and God, bringing peace here on earth. Doesn't the world right now need some Spirit-led, Spirit-empowered, peace-bringing Christians? Lord, make that so. And this brings us to the very last thing, that the faith that the Holy Spirit gives you is a public faith. It's a public faith. Christians were to go public with their faith. Pentecost um, has frequently been known as kind of this catalytic moment in the life of the church where the church went from little bitty church to much bigger church. Acts chapter 1, end of Acts chapter 1, there's 120 followers of Jesus By the end of Acts chapter 2, 3,000 new converts were there. Church grew exponentially through the Holy Spirit. Do you remember what Jesus told his disciples right before he ascended into heaven? Jesus said, wait. Wait here in Jerusalem. Wait until I send the Holy Spirit to you. Now, why did Jesus tell his disciples to wait? Why didn't Jesus say, here, I'm leaving. Here's my Holy Spirit right now. Now go. Why did Jesus tell them to wait? God wanted them to wait until this time when he would be gathering people from all nations of the known world to Jerusalem. So he could start bringing people connectors together, so he could start bringing peace between one another. Wait until I bring thousands of people right here to Jerusalem, God was saying. Then receive the Holy Spirit. Remember verse 5? Verse 5, Acts chapter 2, Now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. And then the Holy Spirit gave his, his followers the ability to speak in these different languages so that all these Jews could hear. And he started tearing down barriers. One of the most difficult barriers that, that people of different nationalities face is the language barrier. And God says, that's not a barrier. I'm going to tear it down. The Holy Spirit being poured out at Pentecost has been known as the reversal of the Tower of Babel. Remember that story from Genesis chapter 11, where similarly, all of humanity was gathered to one location in Genesis chapter 11. And they were working on one project together, except for that project, the building of this giant tower was nothing more than a project of human pride. And God frustrated them and he, he he separated everyone, scattered everyone, and, and caused them to speak different languages. Well, here in Acts chapter 2, everyone's speaking different languages, but God is bringing people closer together. He's, he's bringing people back together in Acts chapter 2. He's uniting people. And then, and then the world saw this unity that was happening between these 120 followers of Christ and then all of a sudden 3,000 new followers of Christ. 
people of all different ethnicities and nations and backgrounds and languages, economic differences being brought together, and they liked what they saw with this unity that God was bringing at Pentecost. The world needs to be healed today, doesn't it? And that's the mission of God. That is God's ultimate goal. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. He so loved the world so that his son would come and save the world, not, not cast the world aside, not destroy the world, but save the world and build his kingdom up in the world. That's God's goal, building his kingdom up right here. Revelation chapter 7, verse 9. This is God's this vision of God's ultimate goal. After this, I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, every tribe, every people, and every language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. Because Jesus is on the throne. It's his kingdom that he's building up. I love what, what God is doing at Hope Church and bringing people of different backgrounds together, different, different beliefs, different different languages and bringing them together. Because God's bringing unity. And that's what this world desperately needs. This world desperately needs this united church. Our neighborhood needs a united church. Our neighborhood needs Hope Church to be filled with the Spirit and to go about God's business of bringing unity and peace be public with our faith. Over the next several Sundays, we're going to look at Acts chapter 2. And we are going to look at what people must we be in order to be people that the Holy Spirit is working through to, to bring about his, his ultimate purposes of reconciliation, restoration, unity, and hope. So I hope you'll come back and join us for that. But as we finish up today, I just want to ask you, um, how is your heart? How, how is your heart with the Holy Spirit? How is your heart with God? Are you open towards God? Are you close towards God? Are you... You hopeful for God? Are you frustrated with God? I don't know. Just how's your heart with God right now? There's this promise that Jesus gives in John chapter seven. I want you to hear this promise and think what the Spirit may be saying to you through this. Jesus in John chapter seven says, "Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. And whoever believes in me, as the Scriptures has said, rivers of living water." will flow within them. Whoever believes in me and comes to me, rivers of living water will flow within them. And by this, he meant the Holy Spirit. So come to Jesus. He offers you his spirit, his life. If you are thirsty, if you are broken, if you are frustrated, if you are confused, if you are in need of closeness with God, come to him. Come to him. And his Holy Spirit will come in and fill you. We're about to enter into a time of prayer. Um, 
I want to pray for the Holy Spirit's activity in your life and life of Hope Church. Also, want to pray for our nation. The Billy Graham Evangelical Association um, sent out some scriptures uh, encouraging churches to pray for our nation. And I read these scriptures, and I, I wanted us to read them aloud, actually, and pray through them. And what these scriptures do is they they give us a way to pray for for three things in particular: peace and perspective and patience for our country right now, for our world and country. As we kind of navigate the ongoing health concerns and try to stay healthy, but also try to live and to, to be a good witness and, and uh, to have hope. And as we try to just be faithful with some of the violence that we see and with um, George Floyd and that painful, uh, just crushing at times situation and what we see from that. So let's pray for peace, perspective, patience for our country. Um, so let's pray. Let's look at this first scripture, John chapter, uh, James chapter 1, verses 19 and 20. And what I want us to do is just kind of say this out aloud. Let's read this out aloud together and then we'll pray. Um, and then I'll lead us through the other two scriptures as well. So let's read this aloud. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry, because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Heavenly Father, we pray for our world and our country. We pray for our church. We pray that we would be filled with the Holy Spirit that we would be humbling ourselves before you. Humble listeners, Lord. Make us into humble listeners. And we pray for peace because we confess that ultimately our impulse is anger. It's not peace. I mean, that's so often, Lord, we just get angry. And not righteous anger over the, the sin that is in our own heart and life. That's not the anger that we feel, anger at the sin that is in our hearts, not righteous anger over our self-centered desires and actions. That's not what, I mean, we just, we get angry at people, Lord. We get angry at others and we see them as personal enemies and we get angry and we wish injustices and injury on others. And Lord, we pray for your forgiveness. We pray that, that you would, cleanse us from our anger and give us peace in our hearts, peace that that wants only your best for others. We cannot see a healing way forward unless we begin with our own personal repentance, Lord. We need the power of your Holy Spirit that filled Jesus, that same Spirit that moved him to spread himself on the cross and give himself and sacrifice himself. And we need that spirit inside of us, moving us to sacrifice and to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. So Lord, have mercy on us and give us your peace. Now look at this next scripture, James chapter 3, verse 17. Let's read this out aloud. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, 
impartial and sincere. And that word impartial just means wholehearted. It's not being divided in parts, but wholehearted. And Father, we need your perspective on life. We need your wisdom that that sees with your perspective, because our perspective usually is just what's going on in my little life. My perspective, speaking very personally, Lord, is how do I get life going in the way that I want it to go? And that is not living with wisdom. It's not living with your wisdom. The wisdom we often carry with us is the wisdom that we use to get what we want to happen, our personal goals and ambitions. Yet you have a much bigger perspective and a much bigger wisdom. Your wisdom is that of the kingdom of heaven that brings your righteous ways and your peace and your shalom where everyone has enough and where no one is afraid. That is that is the kingdom that you want to build, and we pray for that kingdom here and the, the perspective of your kingdom, your shalom, your ways, Lord. Help us to order our lives so that we can build that kind of a society. And we pray for those who are not experiencing your shalom, your peace. We pray for those who do not have enough. And we pray for those who are afraid. And we pray that you would reverse that. For those who are suffering in poverty, we pray, Lord. We pray for those who have an experience of life that offers them little hope, little joy, we pray that you would reverse that. And we pray that you would show us, Lord, how can we help you restore and reverse things to your original intent for your creation. Bring your kingdom. Show us how to do that. Show us how to be peacemakers who sow in peace and reap a harvest of righteousness, Lord. And finally, look at Romans chapter 2, verse 4. We'll be praying for patience. Read this out aloud with me. Do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? And Lord, we thank you that you are kind. And that we are led to follow you and repent, not not in fear of your anger, but rather because of your kindness, because you loved us and you gave yourself for us. And you showed great patience. And Lord, we pray that we would show that same kind of patience, that we would, that we would know how to wait for your plans to come about. Just like you told the disciples, wait in Jerusalem until you receive the Holy Spirit and you had a, a reason for them to wait. Lord, we have to wait too, but help us to wait patiently with conditions, but also with others. Help us to realize that we are the chief sinners, that while we were your enemies, Christ died for us. We were your enemies. You showed us patience. Lord, help us to act with great patience and with great love. Lord, we pray for your unity um, to flourish in your church, that every person that follows you would be compelled by your spirit to fight for unity, to fight for love, to show love, and to be someone that reconciles. 
Help us to be people that forgives and hopes in your love and then shows your love. Lord, we love you. We thank you for your love that you showed us through Jesus Christ. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.